guys pray with me this morning. Jesus, you are holy. You are good. You are, are mighty. You're incredible. Lord, and we just sang songs that talk about laying down our lives and us declaring, Lord, give us Jesus. Give us more of you, God. And that is our prayer this morning. Father, give us more of your Son, Give us more of your empowerment. Give us more of your blessing, Jesus. We are praying, God, that this morning, God, that we would encounter you, that we would experience you like no other. Father, and that we would leave here uh, changed and transformed, God, because if we truly follow and truly believe in your scriptures, and when we read it and we study it, Father, then, then, then nothing should stop it from changing in our lives. Lord, your word is living and active. And if we truly believe in it, Father, then we should continually surrender ourselves so that you can cut away, that you can turn, that you can make all that you desire and will. And this morning is no different, Jesus. And so, Lord, we are praying, God, that as you move this morning, that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would tune in. Lord, what is it that you're calling us to? What are you draw, trying to draw us to, God? What is it that you're trying to say? May we have ears to hear and hearts to understand and a mind to comprehend how big and how great and how incredible you are this morning, Jesus. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, we... Uh, we took a trip to Indianapolis. Um, I'm a Jags fan, and so we went away for a weekend, went to a game, enjoyed family. But how many of you guys have kids? Had, have, have, had. Um, you, you, you know, you prepare for the weekend, right? You pack everything in, you pack them, buckle them in, you get in the car, and you're like, okay, this is going to take four and a half hours to get there. And so we start going, and then 20 minutes down the road, what does one of our child say? Are we there yet? Right? And it's like, no, we're not there. We just started, right? And we, we, we maybe travel another two hours, and then what do we hear? I'm hungry. I want food. Right? And, and then at the same time, are we there yet? No, you just asked me that five minutes ago. Right? You're going to see some big, land, a big skyscrapers and a big city by the time we get there, okay? And so we're driving, and it was a great weekend. We get there without fail. Thank God there were no detours. But how many of you have ever traveled and you've hit a detour? Like your destination is literally the second pew in, and you just can't get there because there's a detour. And so you got to go like eight miles around just to come back to where you have to go, Right? We all have experienced them, but how many of you love detours? None of us do. But in the grand scheme of life, just like driving, God allows us to go on detours. 
He causes us to go on detours because there's something incredible that he wants to do. And sometimes in detours, we get impatient and God's like, hey, I have a plan, right? How many of you have gone in life and you see your destination and it's there, but God takes you that way? Or maybe he takes you the long way around. This morning in our, our Old Testament study in the book of Exodus in Sunday school, we talked about how Pharaoh finally let the Israelites go, right? And instead of taking the quick and easy route to get there, God causes them to go on a roundabout way, to go on a detour just to get where they need to go. Why? Because he has a great plan. And I love what Louis Giglio says in this quote, that your detour could be God's assignment for someone else's deliverance. We've been in the book of Acts, and quite frankly, many of you are like, thank God it's over. This is the last it, right? And we've gone on detours, right? Even as a church, we've had guest speakers, and we have other things happen. We've gone on all these detours, and it's just been an incredible year. But in the book of Acts, we see all of God's people go on crazy detours around, uh, around areas. And last time we, we looked at the book of Acts 27, we see Paul in chains getting on a boat with 275 other people, and they have to get to Rome. But what does God do? He takes them on a big detour, right? And they didn't listen to Paul, and out, out pops this great north, northeastern, right? And, and God causes their ship to go away, and God causes it to be shipwrecked on an island called Malta. Why? Because God had a great plan for that people on that island. And they went on. Paul was bitten by a, 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 a venomous snake, right? And he lived. And people are like, what is going on here? Is this a God? What is happening, right? And then later on, what does he do? He heals the father of someone that's, that's in leadership there. And all the people are like, what is happening? And so it says that they started bringing everyone for healing, Right? And Paul got to live out the good news of Jesus, proclaim the gospel. And, and there was this great possible revival that was happening on this island of Malta with a barbaric tribe that showed much kindness. But our de- God allows us to go on detours for the deliverance of others or even ourselves. Sometimes God causes us to go on detours to save ourselves. And sometimes those detours involve cancer and sickness and other things that are going on because God has a greater plan for us. And if we truly believe in Jesus and we trust in Romans that says that all things work together for good to those that love him, then we have to trust that God has a greater plan, even if it feels that we're on a detour trying to get where we want to get. And Paul is on this grand detour. And we've seen throughout the book of Acts all this transformation and all this impact, people being delivered from demonic spirits and oppression and and being saved and and churches being planted and and, and people being put in in, in empowerment and the spirit working and, and all these things are happening for God's glory. But we look at the book of Acts and we're like, God, why couldn't you just go whoop? But he's like, nope going to cause our people to go here and there, and I'm going to cause them to be scattered in persecution. Why? Because I have a great plan for the world. I desire for all the world to hear about Jesus. And in order for that to happen, God has to cause us to be uncomfortable and to actually change our plans. Because if not, 
there are going to probably be a lot of people who don't know about Jesus because of our own comfort, because we want to go from A to B, not A to E to F to G, back to C to D to B. Like, we want to go straight, and God's like, no, I have a greater plan for this. And so the people on the island of Malta would never have heard about Jesus if it wasn't for this detour that God had them on. But then they finally get to Rome. We see at the middle of Acts 28, that they finally get to Rome and part of Rome, right? We know in a verse Luke wrote, hey, we finally made it to Rome, but then we notice a verse later that they had to walk or travel to get to Rome. And then in 16, we see they finally made it to Rome. It's kind of like on a trip, right? And the kids are asking, are we there yet? I can imagine the people going, Paul, or to the ship captain, are we there yet? Like, I'm tired of these windstorms. I'm tired of this turbulence. I'm tired of all these things. As a matter of fact, I'm hungry. You guys threw all of our food overboard, and I'm starving. When are we going to eat? And then you finally get to a part of Rome, close to Rome, right? And, and we get to the city of Indianapolis, and Chloe says, are we there yet? And we're like, yes, even though we still have a half hour to drive. We finally see Indianapolis, and we're like, yes, we're there. And so Paul and his friends and, and all 276 of them get to Rome, and they have to travel up to Rome. And they finally get to Rome. And this is where we get our passage for today. And so what is God's plan? Why have all these things happening? The question is, is what's going to happen to Paul? And now that he's in prison, and he finally gets to Rome, his grand desire, God's promise, hey, Paul, I'm going to get you to Rome, even though it took many, many, many years for me to do it and shipwrecks and poisonous snakes and starvation and all these things to get there, but we finally get there, Paul, right? And so what happens? Verse 16 says, and when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Like this prison system, like, is, is, like Paul was able to just stay by himself in a house that he was renting with a prison guard that's keeping watch over him. And so we would, would suspect that while he's here, and while he's renting this house, he's still working because he has to pay for the house. And so somehow he's still able to be a tent maker and he's still able to do all these things while he's uh, under house arrest um, with this guard. And so it says this, they finally made it. Paul settles into his house. And then it says this, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered he said to them, brothers, though I have nothing, nothing wrong against our people or the customers of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death of penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation... For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And so here is Paul. You know, he's figuring, he's like, you know what? While I'm here, I'm going to connect with the Jews that are here. And so he begins to invite all of these people to his house. And he says, hey, leaders of, Ju uh, uh, of Israel, right, uh, uh, of the Judean, of the um, Jewish faith, like, listen, I'm here because I was accused of something that actually, quite frankly, wasn't true, right? I had done nothing wrong, but because the Jews persisted and, and, they, and, and they kept pushing, I had to compel to Caesar. 
And so I'm here uh, uh, to, to prove that. I have no charge. I'm not bringing anything against my nation. I have no animosity towards, towards those that are accusing me. Uh, matter of fact, in all of this, I'm pretty sure he's just saying, hey, I have a desire and a heart for them. And here's my heart, that they would know the hope of Israel. What is the hope of Israel? The Messiah. Right? That, that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, and he's reigning, and his kingship is now, and, and his kingdom is incredible, and I'm here because of all that. And so I, I've asked to speak to you to, to show you this, right? And these chains I'm in are because of this. <clears throat> Look at verse 21. How do they respond? And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. So they're kind of almost like, there, there's two things that are happening here. Either the people who brought a charge against them realized they had nothing against him, and so they dropped all charges, and now they're trying to say, hey, Paul, we didn't hear anything about you. They're trying to cover up everything because they knew they were in the wrong. Or those Jews were like, what are you talking about, Willis? Like, what is going on, Paul? Like, we haven't heard about you. We don't know what is happening. But look what they say. Verse um, 22. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So they say, you know what, Paul? Guess what? We want to hear from you. We're interested in what you got to say because anywhere we go, this Christianity that is talked about, everyone's against all of our people are against it, and so we want to hear from you. <laughs> Great mistake by them. Paul's like, hey, listen, you want to hear from me? You want to know why I'm here? You want to actually hear what I have to say? Buckle up, because you're about to get Jesus, right? You're about to get the kingdom. You're about to get why I am here. You're about to hear what the hope of Israel is actually about. And so verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. There are many people that came. It wasn't just a few leaders. It was many people at great numbers. And what's great about it is Paul didn't have to go anywhere. They came to him. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, <clears throat> testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And so here, <clears throat> here's Paul. Right? I, I don't know how big his house is or how, how, how many people came, but it says great numbers, which signify that there were probably a lot of people there that were willing to hear what Paul had to say. Like, Paul, why are you arrested? What is going on? Right? And Paul, finally getting to them from morning to evening. Look, we know that Paul's a great preacher. I mean, we saw a couple chapters before that he preached all night one time. I don't have that stamina. I don't have that ability so don't worry, I'm, never, I'm not going to preach an all-night message to you. But here's Paul from morning till evening, right? So an all-day occurrence, he's expounding to them about the kingdom. He's testifying to Jesus, to, to the reign of Christ, to the kingdom of God, and he's trying to persuade them of all of Scripture. Because we know this about Scripture, right? That all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, points to who? Jesus. From the creation account all the way to the end when we see the glorious reign of Christ in heaven with us, 
right? We, we, we see it, right? And so everything is about Jesus. And so Paul, he's spending morning till evening trying to tell them all about who Jesus is and how all of Scripture from the law of Moses, right? We know that the Israelites, the Jewish people, they followed the law of Moses. They followed Moses. They believed in Moses, right? We know in Hebrews and other places, they were like, well, Moses did this to show us, right? And we know the book of Hebrews says, listen, Christ is greater than Moses. Christ is greater than the angels. Christ is greater than any Old Testament person that you follow. He's greater than Abraham. Matter of fact, he is over David, right? All these things, Paul is throughout scripture saying, hey, everything points to Jesus. And look at what verse 24 says, real quick. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Listen, Paul, during this time, was prepared, right? He was ready to give a defense for the hope that he had, a hope that is greater, a hope that is grander, his desire to see all that Christ wants to do in and through him. He is like, I'm here, right? Paul, he spent time talking about the gospel. He spent time talking about grace and mercy and forgiveness and justification and redemption, right? These are just a sample of all the conversations that I could imagine he had, right? And it's the same way that happened in Luke chapter 24. And Jesus said, right, he's, he, he raises from the dead and on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with two people, right? And at the end of it, right, as all these things are going on, this is what Luke wrote even about Jesus, right? And so Luke wrote, Luke wrote, wrote Acts, and this is a great connection, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of Scripture concerning himself. Luke 24, 27, right? And so just like Jesus, Paul was doing the same exact thing, right? Jesus was saying, hey, everything points to me. And Paul was saying, hey, everything points to Jesus Christ. And so I got a question for you. Are you prepared to share the gospel? Do you know what the gospel is? If someone was to ask you, what is the gospel, what would you say? Okay, so good news about Jesus Christ and the cross. Anything else? So there's forgiveness of sin. But Junior, let me ask you a question. Why do we need forgiveness of sin? But why? Who is God? God is what? He's a holy, right? Right? And so here, let me, let me break it down to you. Uh, there, there's a great ministry out there that breaks it down in six words. God, our sins, paying everyone life. Gospel. God is a holy, just God who created us to have a relationship with him. But our sins, yes, our sins keep us from having that relationship because he is holy and we are not. Right? And so it is our sins that are keeping us. Right? And our sins deserve what? Death. Our sins deserve to be separated from God forever, right? But who came, right? God promised to send a Savior, Christ, who came to pay everyone's sins, right? And so his cross, his resurrection, his blood, his, his broken body paid for our sins, right? And because of that, yes, everyone. Bible says that all have sinned, right? And because all have sinned, God is Jesus. Bible says that, that Christ died for everyone, 
And so everyone can come to know Jesus. And in Christ, we have life. Right? The gospel. The gospel's greater and grander. Yes, the good news of Jesus, the death and resurrection is the, the highest point of our story. But the gospel entails everything. People need to know why they need Jesus. And the only way to tell them that is to bring them back to Genesis where, where God created everything and he said it was good, it was perfect, it was holy. And because of that, God created a world that was good. But because Adam and Eve's decision, it broke and tarnished everything. And because of that, we need redemption. We need a savior and that is Christ. And so Paul this whole time is saying, hey, listen, your sins, yes, your sins, your, your law of Moses and all the sacrifices were just a grand picture of what Christ was coming to do. While those sins maybe temporarily took away your forgiveness of sins, it didn't take away the problem of sin. And the problem of sin couldn't be dealt with until the, the Savior of the world came and died for us on the cross and rose again, defeating death, defeating the penalty, defeating the power of sin in our lives. And because of Christ, we can find freedom. And so Paul was saying all of this. John 10.10 says, I've come to give life. And so Paul, this whole time, was proclaiming the good news of Jesus. But it says that he was doing it morning to night. Church, listen, preaching Jesus, proclaiming Christ takes time and it takes patience. We live in a world where it probably takes many conversations and many seeds being planted and cultivation and all these things happening for someone to be receptive to the gospel. It takes time. It takes patience. But may we continue Christ and the church's mission by expounding the scriptures and pointing people to the hero of the scriptures, and that is Jesus. And because he did this, listen, it says this, as if some were convinced and others dis believed. Paul spent a whole lot of time talking about Jesus. Some believed, some disbelieved. Look, in our lives, here's the thing that's going to happen. We're going to have some people who are receptive, and we're going to have some people who push against it, because there is no way to remain neutral to the gospel. You either accept it or you don't accept it. There is no in-between. You cannot remain neutral. If you preach the gospel, there has to be a decision that has to be made. And as believers, we should call them to a decision. Hey, what do you decide? Are you choosing Jesus or not? That is important. And so some disbelieved, and I guarantee you there was probably argument and all these things that are happening. And because of that, Paul had final one final word to say. Look what it says. And disagreeing among themselves, right? There, there, there was argument. There was all these things that were happening. And so they departed after Paul had one more statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So here's Paul saying, you know what? All his spirit was right. Let me point you to a passage that they would have all known in Isaiah. Isaiah 6. You guys know what is happening in this passage? 
right? Isaiah gets this grand vision and sees these seraphim, right, with six wings, worshiping, crying out, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And, and the temple shook and all these things that are happening, right? And here's Paul going, man, I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me because I've seen the Trinity. I've seen the Holy Father and I am nowhere able and undeserving of this. It says that an angel came down and with a coal taken from the fire, touched Isaiah's lips and says, your sins are forgiven. And right after that, God, the Trinity, right, says this, who will go for us? And Isaiah's response is, here I am, Lord, send me. If I get to serve you, this grand, amazing God that I see right now in the vision, man, God, send me. And God then says to them, hey, listen, you're going to go to the people. And you're going to say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts had grown dull. And with their eyes, ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Right? And so what he's saying, Paul's saying, listen, you're so far down your sin. You're living a life totally contrary to the gospel. And your hearts have gone cold. They've gone dull. You were so much in the world and so much in the ideologies of, of Judaism and everything else that you've actually caused your heart to not be able to fully understand and see. Because of your sin, you won't be able to understand this. And Isaiah being a prophet, right, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you're going to hear, right, but you're never going to understand why because you're so far gone and you're choosing not to believe in this. You're rejecting the gospel, and because of that, you're not going to be able to live this way. Paul proclaimed Jesus, but it wasn't his job to force them to accept it. But he didn't stray away from the truth, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to work and speak. What a tragedy it would be for us to come to a, a time together in the book of Acts where the gospel has been proclaimed from time and time and time again. Where we have guest speakers who have come and preached Jesus, but yet your eyes still do not see and your ears still do not hear, and your heart fails to respond. Listen, again, no one can listen to the gospel message and remain neutral to it. And so today, after service, I want to give you that chance to respond. Maybe you've been here and you are, 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 are you, you know, you, 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 you're not accepting it yet. Maybe you weren't ready and you just keep coming and you keep hearing it and God continues to toil, work in the heart, and maybe you're at a point of saying, you know what, I'm receiving this. Because listen, if you were to die today, there is no guarantee that you will be in heaven unless you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because your good works do not outweigh the evil that is in your heart because the blood of Jesus is not washed at white as snow yet. Your sins are still keeping you from being separated from Christ because it's in Christ and repentance and belief in his death and resurrection, that you will have salvation. And the Bible says because of that, you will spend eternity with Jesus. But if you keep denying it and you were to die right now, God will look at you and say, I never knew you. So do you have that relationship with Jesus? Are you ready to respond to the good news of Jesus? to this message of, of, of forgiveness, this message of redemption, this message of reconciliation, this message of God saying, hey, I love you, 
and I want a relationship with you. And here's the way that I've responded and I've handled it by sending my son to take your punishment for you. All you have to do is accept this and believe in this. And, and, and you might have people who, who study, right, who, who, who go through great lengths and, and they just know everything and they study everything. And I got to say that it is possible for, 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 for the God of intellectual to actually keep you from heaven because you've studied so much. I'm not saying don't study, but sometimes we overstudy to the point that our hearts become cold to receiving the message that God has for us. And so while you study, make sure that you're not prioritizing head knowledge and intellectualism with what God wants to do in your life here and now. And so they left. Paul said his word, but I love these final verses. Look at this. 28 says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen, right? This is the prophecy all throughout scriptures. Time and time again, Paul has said this, I think three times already in the book of Acts, that, hey, listen, I'm going to the Gentiles. The gospel is going to the Gentiles and they will listen and they will receive. And we've seen time and time again, the Gentiles responding to the message of Christ and the message of forgiveness and salvation. But look what 30 says. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. So he's coming to Rome to what? To appeal to Caesar. But this is how Acts ends. Is there more? Did we lose a a, a page in Acts? Are, Are we missing Luke's account of what actually happened? Is there an extra letter somewhere that we have no idea what happened? This is how Luke ends the book of Acts. That Paul, in his own freedom, at his own expense, preached the gospel to anyone who came to his house. And so while Paul says, hey, listen, I'm turning to the Gentiles, I firmly believe where Paul says, and he welcomed all who came to him, I firmly believe that any Jewish people, any Israelites who came, I guarantee you that he preached Jesus to them. He didn't exclude the gospel from them. But everyone who came to hear this message, Paul says that he preached with boldness. And so Acts essentially says, hey, here's two years, dot, 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 to be continued. How many of you guys have had series where that has happened, where you get to a point and there's a climax, right? And you're like, oh, and then to be continued. And you're like, no, what happened? Right? I, 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 in, in my TV shows, that is one thing that annoys me the most. Like, I just want to know what happened. Stop with this to be continued stuff. And so what is happening? Are we missing a chapter? Right? We've been leading up to this trial before Caesar for months now, but nothing is said about it here. There's nothing. We don't know how long he lived, how long he continued ministering unhindered. Did he ever make it to Spain like he said he was going to in the book of Romans? For those that need a little closure, here is what we know. During this two-year span, Look at this. Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. While he was in prison, he wrote some of the greatest New Testament books that we have. The greatest New Testament books that talk about our identity in Christ, that talk about about who we are, that that we are to be rooted down in Christ in the book of Colossians. And not only that, but the book of Philemon, most people are like, what's the point of that book? 
right? Because the book is about Paul writing to a man named Philemon to welcome back his slave, to welcome back his bondservant, right? And so during this two years, what we know from church history and from other passages of scripture, that Anisimus ran away from Philemon, made it to Rome, and somehow interacted with Paul and was led to Jesus. And if we look at the book of Philemon, Paul's saying, listen, Onesimus knows Christ now. Don't welcome him back as a slave, but as a bondservant, as a fellow believer. We know that Philemon belonged to the church in Colossians. Actually, matter of fact, it met in his house. And so not only did Paul write Colossians to the church that met in Philemon's house, but he wrote a specific letter to Philemon saying, hey, accept your bondservant back because he's been great to me and he's going to be great to you. From everything that we read here, from everything that we know from church history, we know that Paul would have stayed in prison for two years and then around AD 62 or 63, he was actually released. They couldn't find anything. And during this time, we know that he traveled his ministries because we have the book of Timothy and the book of Titus. And we know that he did some other ministry that we would probably call the fourth missionary journey of Paul. We don't know what to call it. <clears throat> and during this time, right, he would have wrote these things. And we know, <clears throat> according to 2 Timothy and others, that after that he was rearrested. And this time, we know from 2 Timothy that he wasn't arrested and put into his own rented house. He was put into a dungeon. That was cold. That was dark. And we know that from other things, um, eventually he was beheaded as a martyr for Christ. But listen to what uh, a theologian said. We may believe that Paul's release from his first Roman imprisonment, he continued his evangelistic work in the eastern portion of the empire, perhaps even fulfilling his long-cherished desire to visit Spain. And since 2 Timothy 4, 16-18 speaks of an approaching second trial and a tone of resignation, we may conclude that Paul was rearrested around AD 67, and according to tradition, he was beheaded at Rome by order of the Emperor Nero. So why doesn't Luke cover all of this in Acts? Because here's the thing. Luke's writing in Acts was never to, to write about the biography of Paul. His whole desire was to talk about Christ's expansion of his kingdom in the church. We know that in Acts 1, 1 through 2, he wrote the first book, he wrote Luke, and talking about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we know that the book of Acts was all about the Holy Spirit coming and expanding everything. Listen, the Holy Spirit came, and because of the Holy Spirit coming, the church exploded and we see all this transformation in his trajectory of going from one nation to another. We see him go from just Israel and Jerusalem now to, to Europe and, and Italy and Rome and Spain and all these other places and into Africa, right? And all these things that are happening all because of the power of the Spirit. These were ordinary men who, who by themselves couldn't do this except for their willingness to surrender everything to the Spirit. And so what does that mean for us? Listen, the impact of your life is, is determined not by your ability or your history, but by God's calling on your life. The impact of your life is by God and God alone. And so are you willing to submit to God's plan for your life? Are you willing to say, Lord, here I am, send me. To do great things for God, we must relinquish our wills and be willing to say, Lord, let it be to me. Listen, Paul says, it says that he preached 
the kingdom of Christ for two years. We're not servants of the kingdom of the left or the kingdom of the right or the kingdom of sports or the kingdom of anything else. If we fully believe in Jesus, then we are called to be servants of Jesus' kingdom first and foremost. Because I have a dream as a pastor, as a desire to see disciples making disciples. Listen, I have a dream that older men will disciple younger men. That older women will pull younger women in and go on the discipleship journey together. That we would gather coffee with each other to spur and encourage each other on. I pray and hope that through kingdom collaboration with other churches, every man, woman, and child in Holmes County would know about Jesus. Because there's still lost people here. Until we see the king, let us follow Paul's model. Listen to what he wrote in 2 Timothy before he died. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. My hope and desire for each and every single one of you, as we, as we continue on until the return of Christ, that in the end of our lives, we would say that we have fought the good fight, that we have finished the race, and that we have kept the faith. Paul, and everything that he went through, his goal was making sure that Jesus was glorified. Is that your desire? Is your desire to make sure that Christ is glorified, or is it your desire to make sure that you yourselves are glorified? Paul's goal, his plan, was to know Christ and nothing else other than Jesus. When you see Jesus with your own eyes, will you regret your life? Those that fully believe it, if you keep fighting and you keep fronting, and when you see Jesus with your own eyes, you won't regret having served him faithfully at all. We as blood-bought Christians will be in the presence of the glorified Savior one day. We will be there with the saints from every tribe and tongue, including those like Paul, who are slain for the sake of his name. And there will be joined a multitude of the redeemed and singing praises to the one who is worthy of all adoration. The mission of Christ hasn't ended. Matthew 24, 14 says, until the gospel has reached the ends of the world, then I will come back. Church, you're here for a reason. Every single one of you sitting in the pew today has a calling on your life. Your calling isn't just to come on Sundays and sit comfortably in a pew. Your calling is to preach Jesus, to live Jesus where you work, live, and play, or where you hang out when you're retired, or, or anything else. Your calling is to represent Christ. Are you doing that? You have a desire to make sure that Jesus is known. Are you making sure that you're in relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to be uncomfortable, even if it means that God is calling you to move to a different place or, or, or to a different job or somewhere else, and he's calling you on a detour in your life so that others can meet and encounter Jesus? Paul's goal, his mission, his lifelong why was to make sure that Jesus is known and proclaimed. Do you know your why? Why are you here? Do you know why God has called you? Do you know your calling on your life? Do you know what you are to be doing? And are you willing to submit and surrender to that? Christ doesn't want someone who's on the fence of saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I hear what you're going to say, but I'm not willing to do that, Jesus. What would happen if Paul said no to Christ on the road to Damascus? What would have happened if, if, if Philip 
or, or any of the other missionaries or, or any of the disciples said, no, Jesus, I'm not doing that. What would have happened at the beginning of Acts if, if the, the Holy Spirit came and all the disciples were like, nope, it's not going to happen? Where do you think we would be? The book of Acts is a great example of followers of Jesus laying down their lives so that Jesus is glorified and that Jesus is made known. Are you at a point in your life where you're saying that you are being poured out as a drink offering? Maybe you're nearing the end of your life and you just don't know when Christ is coming or, or when your life is over. Are you at a point of saying, hey, I fought the good fight, I finished the race? If you're here, your race is not finished. There's still more work to be done. Are you willing to allow that to be the drive? Are you willing to allow that to be the why of your life? So what are we to do? Teach people about King Jesus. Preach his kingdom, not yours. Ask God to grant you spirit-empowered boldness. Allow the spirit to work in your life and be willing to respond to what the spirit is doing. Maintain an unshakable confidence in the gospel. We see all of this deconstruction and all these things that are happening in the world and, and their faiths are being shaken. But are you a tree that bends and not breaks? Are you a tree that no matter what happens in your life or what God allows you to go on, are you unshaking? Are you unbreaking? Is your confidence in the gospel strong? And pour yourselves out for the king. Lay down your lives for him because it's worth it. 100% worth it. Let's pray.